yeah, I guess what are we watching today? I don't know if there's anything else to start with right now. I think I had a thought. Do you want me to wait and see if the thought comes back? Let's take a quick moment to see it. Let me tumble let me tumble the thoughts around that I was thinking about. It might have had something Oh, it was I think an upcoming question of the week. Okay. And I, this might be too there might not be enough answers. But it might be like might it might be something like if you could have any pet animal from Star Trek. But the answer is Tribbles. Actually, it's not. Okay. My answer is not Tribbles, just because of the um the the spawning in new Tribbles. I don't want to deal with that. No, that's very bad. Is it the Klingon yeah. pig dog? No, it's literally Spot. I want oh, Spot. David's cat. Oh, okay. It's that's... it's it's. I've always wanted his cat. His cat was adorable. I didn't have a cat growing up, so it was always something I wanted. You know. Oh, Spot is such a good cat, though. Yeah. Oh, he, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, that's a, well, great, man. Yeah, I was thinking of, obviously of various races of animals. Yeah, but... no, you asked me what pet I want. That's no, my pet. That's I fair. want Spot. Spot is so great. The, the ode to Spot is the best thing that happens on Star Trek. Yeah, he's so cute. Oh my gosh. So I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, so... I don't. I don't think that's going to be the question for. The Gary Mitchell for where no man has gone before. No, I feel it's a good one for the Trouble with Tribbles episode, actually. It is a good one for Trouble with Tribbles. We're coming up on an episode that has a little unicorn dog in it. Oh, it does have the unicorn dog soon, doesn't it? Yeah, that's when Kirk gets, um, it might be the enemy within. Yep, he splits into his good and evil selves. Real cartoon shit. Real dark wing duck shit, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and they figure it out because there's a mean little unicorn dog. <laughs> so one thing that you could do as a possible question for where no man has gone before, as I'm thinking about things, is like, because this one here, both of them are all like, someone's got incredible power and misuses said power. The two episodes we've just watched. Um, Charlie or, X and where no man has yeah, gone before. That's what I'm, both we, have, we haven't watched. Misuse no of power yet. episodes. Yes. Yeah. So it could be something like, what's the greatest misuse of power in the show, in your opinion? Oh, yeah, okay, I like that, I'll make a note of that, yeah, because that's that's a good follow-up. Okay, cool, yeah, I like that one. And we'll, yeah, we'll save pets for, it could be the triples, we'll see, there might be some, it might, maybe I'll ask about if people can come up with an example of some other TV show where someone gets split into their good and evil halves. But we'll see. That one's that's oh man, no, five. there's so many. Yeah, because even Community did like an entire episode where they had the stupid goatees and everything because it was the darkest timeline. Yeah, like, but there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of good and evil versions of it. It's it's you know, it's a fun yeah. trope to fall back on on occasion, and even like, and I'm even thinking more of like sitcoms and shows that would kind of mock the trope, like Community. But they, yeah, they mm-hmm. even do the fucking goatees. I mean, that's <laughs> man. When are we going to see the mirror universe? How's it keep saying? I have no idea. I do not remember the order of the episodes at all. And nine times out of ten, I don't actually like. I don't think I've actually seen this episode before. Are you familiar with the Corbin Corbo might maneuver? I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar, but. Yeah, there's so much techno babble in the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're the. I don't remember. Oh man! Well, for, first of all, the thumbnail of the Corbinite maneuver 
is Kirk with no shirt on doing the wall pedals that I, you know, the wall pedals I was yep, talking about. Yeah, the one that you like a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I just think they're so weird. Like, someone thought that was real futuristic, like, stress test. Um, so, what facts do you have about Where No Man Has Gone Before, the third episode that was aired, and the actual re-pilot? Yeah, so I've actually done a little bit of reading today. Um, it looks like the cage was pitched, didn't do very well, so they pitched this instead. Um, and then this got the whole show going and then got aired as the third episode. Um, instead of as the actual pilot. I don't know why they didn't put it as the actual pilot, but they didn't. So it's Where No Man Has Gone Before, directed by James Goldstone. Samuel A. Peoples, P-E-E-P-L-E-S, was the one who did the, like, the writing for it. Okay. And its initial air date was September 22nd, 1966, with a 7.7 rating on IMDb. All right. These have pretty good ratings. Yeah, uh, we're going to start seeing a dip uh, from what I've, I've, I've seen. Um, we do start seeing a little bit, a bit of a dip later into the season, but the early part, they, they kept some pretty high, pretty good quality stuff out. Now, I've definitely seen this one, but I really don't have, other than like Gary Mitchell and his weird eyes and kind of the vibe of this one, I don't really remember what happens at all. The synopsis we're given on IMDb is, quote, the flight recorder of the 200-year-old USS Valiant relays a tale of terror, a magnetic storm at the edge of the galaxy, end quote. I don't remember this episode. I don't think I've ever actually seen this one specifically. I only know of Gary Mitchell because of um, Strange Energies. I think it was a season three pilot. Oh, sorry, first episode of season three for Lower Decks, where they had that happen to them. And, uh... Sean mentioned it to me, like, oh, Gary Mitchell, like, he was on the original series. I'm like, okay. They talk about so, Gary Mitchell. They do. I I had never, I didn't know it. It was a throwaway, and he was super jazzed by this throwaway line about Gary Mitchell. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, why, that's what's so much fun about that show. Yeah. But, um, no, some of the pictures, it looks like it, it is straight up, or, or very close to the, uh, the cage in costuming. Oh, boy, um, and okay. even by star date, it's actually... The start date for this one here is in the 1300s. The last two episodes were both in the 1500s. So we are going back in time a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is a, another special powers episode. Yep. Uh, we'll see how much they get misused, but certainly not in the internet, in interpersonal kind of way that Charlie's powers were misused. I feel like this is just a, I feel like he's just going to be like, I'm God, so fuck everyone, which isn't entirely different. <laughs> no, it really isn't. But I mean, it does. It does. I hope mean that it won't be quite as uh, now. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit more on the campy side. This than will last be a little more was. fantasy than last. Yeah, week's. yeah. This is kind of a Q episode. There's one. There's a particular TOS episode that people like. Some people are like that is straight up a Q episode. They just don't say the word Q. But uh, mm. this one's close. Okay. Is this, is it Gary Ransom? Is that the character played by the kid from Stand By Me? I don't know. I can look it up and, I'll, and we'll we can review it after the the episode is we'll, done if you'd like. We'll find out who Gary Ransom. Gary Ransom, I think, is the first officer on the Cerritos. He's the blonde guy that gets turned. Jack. Yeah, he gets, Jack. Jack Ransom. Jack Ransom. Yeah. Gary Mitchell and Jack Ransom. Yes. 
Yep. Um, Jack Ransom is played by O'Connell. So yeah, he is the kid, the kid from uh, one of the one of the kids from Stand by Me. Yep. All right, let's uh yeah, let's do it. Hello, and welcome back to The Least Ready Room, a podcast where Dave and Chris, I'm Dave, take a look at uh, Star Trek, every episode of Star Trek, as many episodes of Star Trek that we will be able to watch during the remaining portions of everyone's life here on Earth. So, this is episode four of that project. I've forgotten the number. I believe it was in the 900 area of the amount of pieces of media we will have to consume for this project. This is the fourth piece. This is Where No Man Has Gone Before, which is the second pilot of this TV show, and also the fourth episode to air. Well, that's not entirely correct either. It was the third to air, um, because one of them never aired. But it was was what was pitched as the second pilot, which uh, got picked up. And our guest today is Saint, so we're going to talk to him for a few minutes before we do the full unseen-by-scene unpacking with Chris uh, after that. And yeah, we're going to have uh, Saint who's going to be on an upcoming episode doing the full unpacking along, Chris and I, and uh, that's exciting. That'll be episode, uh, well, six of the podcast, which is... uh, The Evil Within, The Enemy Within, the one with the little dog that we talked about. That's a a totally fair excuse. Um, I I have pressed the button and I'm recording. Cool. This one is... Where No Man Has Gone Before. Do you know which one? Yeah. Do you know what happens? Yeah, I know what happens in this one. This is the uh, uh, this is the actual this is the actual pilot. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. This or not the uh, not the salt vampire or the man trap rather. Right, exactly. Well, not that one either, but also not the cage because so much changed from the cage to to this one. The captain changed. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry, but everybody, everybody. looking at this as yeah, yeah, the pilot following the cage. Yeah, yeah. No, but literally, that's if this was a second pilot because the first pilot bombed, and they were like, "Nope, we're not going to make that." Yeah, and uh, the production this company, the, yeah, like pushed real hard to make a second pilot and get a second pilot in front of the studio execs for two years. They, yeah. they made this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucille Ball was yep. pretty instrumental in, in that, apparently, which yep. is super cool. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, this is, this is, this is what got made. This is the, this is what I always thought of as the first episode. Um, because, uh, that was the order it was in, um, in my mom's VHS tapes. And, um, right. I guess that's like the production order. And, um, yeah. you know, again, this was supposed to be the first the, the pilot, the first episode uh, of the Captain Kirk Enterprise. 
and it's a uh, yeah, it's kind of the same story as maybe not entirely, but it's you it's, know it's very similar to the episode we watched last week. It's pretty similar to Charlie X, yeah. Corrupted by by absolute power. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think you said it last time. It's it's pretty much the same, except without the seventeen-year-old sexual undertones. <laughs> He's got a these contexts been, that they had him wear. It's been a really long time since I've seen this one too. Okay, yeah, you'll, he looks really strange, and it's because they made him wear these big. Uh, they were like, they made him wear these terrible contacts that were very uncomfortable and they were like it was like two lenses with like very thin not i'm gonna say aluminum foil but you know i don't mean like aluminum Wait. foil from the kitchen but like uh, <laughs> yo <laughs> hey. i'm talking about how they stuck aluminum in this guy's eyes for this one yeah i was gonna say even without that special effect i don't think there was such a thing as comfortable contact lenses in 1966 Oh yeah, I, that's actually yeah. I did not even consider whether just or not that was a thing that existed. This, this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I'm just making an assumption. I shit, man. Last time I wore contacts was like 20 years ago. I, I decided at some point that I'm like, no, wearing glasses looks fine on me. I'm not going to be vain and be like I can't wear glasses and. uh just, I realized living in New York, I would get home at the end of the day every single day, and my eyes would be like full of grit. Ooh. And the contacts would be like kind of painful to get out. And sometimes I would forget. Mm. Sometimes I forget to take them out right away, or I didn't want to take them out right away, and then I smoke weed, and <laughs> my eyes get, would get really dry. Oh, boy. With contacts in. And eventually I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to get a nice pair of glasses, go back to just wearing glasses. Jeez. And I haven't gone back to, to that since. I'm trying to remember when, when I quit wearing contacts completely. It must have been like 2010 or 2008 or something like that. Well, it sounds awful. Everything about it sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> Does it, so they did this to this guy in 1966. Yeah. You'll oh, see. Yeah. And I think I think in general the 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 consensus is that you know any kind of colored contacts and especially any kind of special effects contacts are just like so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. This is you'll see that he has like two little tiny black hole or like one little black hole in each contact that he's trying to see out of, and that's why his like his head is always at a bizarre angle. It's you'll see them the little holes you can see them move around like when he blinks and stuff. It's Anyway, okay, we'll see. Let's take a look at it. Yeah, I was horrified just because I had to. Someone told me about this, so I had to think about his contacts the whole time I watched it. So, so here you go. Priest, I'm going to be thinking about my old contacts. I'm going to be thinking about your old contacts. Yeah. Mitchell. Same notation. 
a service record to end that way. He didn't ask for what happened. Yeah, they were real extra about Spock's up eyebrows in this one. I believe there's some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. Also, he's got green tint. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got a little bit of a yellowish green tint, yeah. Well, it's that same color as his, um, uh, his buddy. Yeah, yeah, so. How did you guys like the story of Gary Mitchell? It's a little repeated after after Charlie X. Yeah, odd choice to put these two right in a row. Yeah. I mean, there's a different vibe. Yeah, the totally. Whole, the whole Gary Mitchell and, and Dr. I keep wanting to call her Dr. Dahmer. Like Jeffrey Dana, Dahmer. but yeah. Dana. Dr. Dana and, and Mitchell. They're both, they're like growing exponentially, geometrically. Whatever, so I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess if I was them, I would have been like, Yeah, just drop me off by myself on this planet, just cool, James. And, um, yeah, really, I mean, it doesn't matter because, like, in about five days, I will probably be able to warp out of here by myself without a spaceship. Seems that way, and it's not like you're gonna die on this planet, you can make fruit and. It's almost yeah. like uh, like old Light Turner who could have just stopped and left oh. and yeah reconvened and still had all of his power and you know started over any anywhere yeah. else yeah but I guess James James Kirk accurately identified that Mitchell was not doing that Mitchell was not just being like oh I've got all this power but I'm going to be chill about it he was starting to be a dick about it. And I guess that's we maybe that's maybe we all feel like we would be so chill and maybe we would all find that we were a horrible dick that we were horrible dicks all along. Yeah. <laughs> and that uh, self-reflection we want to make. Right. I mean, it's there's a there's a reason that I think. Um that there are sort of like historical figures or myths or something about people who like gain great power and then willingly give it up. Yeah. Like uh, Riker. Being, yeah. Being, you know, you holding these people off as paragons and then, you know, like, like in American history, George Washington is one of those people, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, not you know, not to say that there was everything nice and good about George Washington, but um, he know, was he was the, unable to tell lies. The national is what he's myth, well known for. right? Well, the national myth, at least, which at, which became a kind of norm, was that president, like you know, presidents don't stay president for too long. Sure. And um, you know, one of the things they called him was was the American Cincinnatus. And that's a reference back to like this old Roman figure called Cincinnatus, and like back in Roman times, um, when like the city of Rome was threatened, 
and they thought they were all going to die, they would appoint a dictator for a six-month term. Okay. Uh, and it was always like a desperate move because they were always worried that, you know, the dictator would just consolidate power and, and, and keep it right. for a long six months. That's why they stabbed, you know, the, the guy. That is why they stabbed Julius Caesar, yeah. yeah. But, like, they held up as a, as a sort of paragon of virtue this guy named Cincinnatus because he, you know, he they, they gave him the dictatorship, like, repeatedly because he was such a good general. They, like, pulled him out of retirement on his farm, and he went and he defeated the barbarians, then went back to his farm. <laughs> you know, and he's like, I don't, I don't want my absolute power. I just want to, you know, I'll do it to save my country or do the thing I need to do, but then I'm going to give it up and go back to, you know, living a peaceful life. At least that's, and again, you know, these are the, these are the myths that, you know, sure, cult right. cultures tell. Yep. You know? Um, but, uh, yeah. How much is, how many people are going to actually do that? And I guess that's the idea is like, well, it's like we, the few times, it happens very few, very few times that somebody's got a lot of power and willingly gives it up. So when it happens, you may, you kind of make a big deal out of it. Right. Gary Mitchell did not give it up. <laughs> Gary Mitchell was like, this is great. I'm in charge. Fuck you. Yes. You're an insect. He probably shouldn't have said that to them. Yeah. He, got, he read his mouth real quick. He yeah. was like, I know Spock's thinking about murdering me, you fucking Vulcan. Boy, they were really pushing the Spock is a cold-blooded alien in this pilot. Yeah, and then he probably shouldn't have said, like, yeah, you should kill me. He probably should listen to Spock and kill me real fast. Yeah, he should not have said that. He should not have said that. He really could have just... Yeah, I mean, and this is almost like... Whatever happens to them near the barrier that gives them these powers, it really almost is just like... Does it also it gets, any it removes some kind of, uh, yeah, some, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, uh, that, I, that I don't have, but it's, you know, people talk about you get drunk and you, oh, your inhibitions. Yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's drunk on power and he's just yeah. like, you know what? I don't, it doesn't matter. He, he, and even when he's talking to Dr. Denner in the end, he, he, he's talking about how, they are insects and they don't matter. And he should say whatever he wants to them. Yeah. Drunk on power. Yeah. Can't handle it. Can't handle his power. Can't handle, yeah, exactly. There's some funny uh, things in this episode, such as Spock mentioning that one of his ancestors is human. Yes. Instead of his mom. Instead of his mom. Went on a writer. Renona Ryder. We also have Dr. Piper, who uh, maybe was going, and that is actually, I think he might only be in that seat, because when, when Gary Mitchell's down on the sick bay, we never see Dr. Piper. It's Dr. Denner checking on him, but I feel like Dr. Piper was going to be the doctor, but in the next uh, pr production episode, they've got Dr. McCoy. Yeah. I wanted to look up all the different women who have played Spock's mom. I bet there's a bunch, because there's been a bunch of Spocks. Jane Wyatt, Magil Barrett, voice only. Whoa. Cynthia, Bla Cynthia Blaze, Mia Kirshner, and, oh yeah, Winona Ryder is Amanda Grayson, alternate reality version. They stick everything. Yep. 
Stick all in those the, movies are that those movies are an alternate reality. Reality, and I mean, the which hilarious makes thing it all is, canon. The the hilarious thing is they can just they can say yeah it's just an alternate reality. They did a multiverse before. They did a multi. I mean, before anybody thought it was cool. Is wait until, wait until we get to Mirror Mirror. That's in the first season, I think. Well, is a mirrored universe a multiverse? It's an indication of a multiverse. Does someone say? I'm sure there are an infinite number of universes out there, and we just got the evil one. I think somebody might say something to that effect. Oh, it's in the second season. Sorry, Mirror Mirrors. It's pretty, I mean, a bit, definitely a bit just the right. idea of alternate universes. 1966, 67, that's, that's early to be talking about alternate universes. Yeah, for sure. He also, I mean, yeah, there was even, yeah, because there's like, Discovery Spock. There's a there's a Spock's mom in Discovery. There's yeah, mm-hmm. Spock's mm-hmm. Spock and Spock's mom have appeared many times, portrayed by many actors. Yeah, yeah, including those alternate. Yeah, Winona Ryder, obviously. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, although honestly, I guess I think of um, the original one who was in which movie is Jane Wyatt. Which movies was she in that I saw? Probably like two and three, probably. Oh, right. Maybe no, three she... would have had a Spock's mom. No, she's in Star Trek Four. Oh, oh. She's the, the Voyage Home, but she's actually also in TOS in the second season. Oh, wow. As Spock's was... mom? or Yeah, as Spock's mom, and then they brought her back for Star Trek Four. But I mean, obvi- like, yeah. This is, this is, now she's 96 years old. Oh, no, she died in 2006 at 96 years old. Oh, okay. She's an old lady. She was born in 1910. Wow. Wow. Imagine being born in 1910. That yeah, would have been really cool. I would have liked to live my entire life before the internet came around. It'd be different for sure. This is the image I have of Smox Mom a lot of times, besides Winona Ryder. I think that's her in Star Trek Four. Oh yeah, totally. That is yeah, yeah. Star Trek Four. Yeah, I guess that was the whales. No, I mean I know it was the whales, but I'm but all I can think of is like the '80s. I can't think of the book ending and what actually happens in you know the 23rd century or whatever. Yeah, they spent a little bit of time in the 23rd century doing stuff, and I forget what context they actually meet his mom in yeah but i remember her yeah yeah i would have guessed three i mean is she definitely not in three or no she's not in three she's in she's in four the action in star trek three all happens all around like the genesis planet basically okay i can't wait to watch those again by the way yeah those movies are good well the first movie is not so good it's um, something though it's something yeah. It sure is something. There's that old joke about only the even even numbered Star Trek movies are yep, good. That's right. I heard something about the theme from the motion picture being at least very similar to the theme from TNG. Like they basically reused most of what was in the. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who told me that or what kind of anecdotal thing it is. Well, yeah. I mean. You know, the TOS theme and the TNG theme are different, but, like, when you listen to them side by side, you can, like, 
I, they have like some similar cues in them and they have like some similar notes and stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They, you, they, they have like the same feeling to them. You you know, they're, they, they, they're obviously come from like two versions of the same TV show. So how about that, that real dramatic fight scene with Palpatine powers and Gary oh, getting betrayed and the, that laser rifle is a hell of a prop, by the way. Yeah, Kirk's shirt getting ripped off and his face oh, yeah. getting all bloodied. Classic. Kirk, Kirk gets the crap kicked out of him, thrown in his own grave, James R. Kirk's grave. James R. Kirk, yeah, whoever. I think my headcanon is going to be that Gary didn't know what his middle name was. Yeah, he just figured, <laughs> he's like, was it R? Like, or maybe he thought, maybe it's like, like <laughs> Richard? I forget, dude. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No. And like, it's a little bit of a jab that he doesn't even remember. <laughs> I don't even yeah. really know this. James R. Kirk. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think they actually go around to say James his middle initial or his middle name again until like the movies. Could be. I think, yeah. I have no I idea. Think, I think that through the whole TOS, they just say James Kirk. They never throw his middle name, middle name or initial out there. I can't wait to like have seen all of this and know some of these things, like when certain things came about. Which is why I'm paying attention to like you know, first time we see a prisoner behind a force field and stuff. Yeah, this is this is first time we see the consoles explode. And yeah, 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 and on the whole bridge on fire and covered, filled <laughs> with smoke. Like really, yeah. and I, I I I commented on it that you like. This is Very rarely spot. see a see a starship filled with smoke on like TNG or anything after this, right. basically. Well, in TNG and, and DS9, they still have the exploding consoles, but they, not so much like, like flaming effect. open flames and yeah, exactly. Not so much an open flame as it is just like a, a shower of sparks, you know, and like an electric crackle. I think you know again that's probably like fits the aesthetic of the time better and the, yeah. the whole like you know the whole like sleek touchscreen yep um you yeah know, future that tng is as opposed to sort of like the clunky analog period of tog buttons and wires that are obviously yeah. uh making yeah. the, the tos bridge yeah lots of wires lots of buttons and switches and dials um lots of specialized displays 1960s beeping future right exactly like i think about displays sometimes like in those contexts like a display designed to show one thing oh yeah like that's that's impossible to think of nowadays like if you're gonna have a screen of course it's gonna be a multi-purpose screen yep it's gonna yeah it's gonna be like a cell phone screen or or like if you want it low power maybe like a kindle or something but not like Gary's microfiche that he was reading tape books yeah. on tape. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I guess like the conceptions of computers, even at yeah, this they time, didn't even, yeah. I mean, there's, I don't know. I you th- there's, there's computer stuff and even in TNG too, that makes you go, that makes me as a computer person like cringe and just be like, no, that's not how computers work, but okay, whatever. I always I love on TNG and uh, a couple you see this on DS9 maybe not as much on Voyager but someone will, will have been doing some research on something and he'll have a stack of like five iPads 
Because, like, yeah, I guess he had to download one article to each iPad or whatever. Yeah, I guess one iPad wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you need multiple screens. Yeah, sure, sure. It's like a nine. It's like a late nineties, like or like two thousands movie visual cue. If somebody's got like oh two yeah, 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 computer, bunch like, of monitors with a bunch of numbers desktop, all over them, yeah, yeah, yeah. That means that means they're either like some kind of finance wizard or a hacker. There's a bunch of like maps of the world with like dots and lines going around. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> like some kind of crazy spy master or something like right, that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's just a visual cue. Um, oh man, how about the esper potential of humans? Yeah, something we uh, yeah I something mean, we don't really see anymore. I think something that never comes back. Yeah. I mean, not not never comes back. Occasionally, well, and I think I think they talk about it a little bit more in TNG, but maybe they talk about it in TOS too a little bit more after this. But basically, I think. I think we talked about it before, but it's like, and I think they even kind of say in passing here, like humans, humans don't really, even humans with like quote unquote high esper potential don't really yeah. do like real psychic shit. Like yeah. that's not a thing. Um, it's weird that they have like a rating and you can look up like their Starfleet, you know, history or credentials or files or whatever and uh, see yeah, what their esper rating is. That I think. I think that doesn't get mentioned, but it could in TOS, and I might not know about it. Yeah, like it's been scientized. Yeah, exactly. That's what I don't think they've done to humans, like in TOS. Studied scientific. Yeah, it's been like studied scientifically or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the excuse that they give later on. Yeah, I mean, but like, like you know, but later on they have explicitly telepathic things like Bezed and Mm. Wilkins and like half a dozen other fucking races with other kinds of like empathy or, or telepathy. Yeah. Um, so, and it's like, it's a thing and it's, they don't really talk about it all that much. It's like a science thing or like a systemized thing. It just happens. Like, it's just, it's like a fucking plot device for Troy to be like, I feel right. their pain, you know, or I sense their anger. Now I don't feel anything at all. And I'm really upset about it. Yeah. They're gone. What's happened? <laughs> Uh, or like, there's nothing here, but I sent something here, Captain. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a plot device, you know. Um. But yeah, there's a um, whole whole quadrant or something of, or not quadrant, but a whole area of the a sector of the Delta Quadrant where all psychic aliens are forbidden. Talk to you soon, Weebs. Thank you. Night. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Um. Yeah, and and I guess you know they assume it's systematized, and I I think they pretty much come out and say at least. I, again, I'm not sure how much they say it in TOS or or how much is systematized later, but it, they're just like, yeah, humans, bad at telepathy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Ha- it happens once in a while where they get like a little bit, or you know, someone's born, you know, like right at the edge of the bell curve. Where right. Like, yeah. You know, but it's like even like the most psychic human ever is gonna be like really crappy compared to a beta Z. I feel like yeah. there is some. I feel like there is some instance. I feel like there is like a. a I, it, well, maybe I'll encounter it as I'm rewatching everything. But I feel like there's at least yeah, an instance of like, some human having some you know small 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ability other than yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And 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 again, I think it comes up like in some episodes, but it's never. And it's almost just yeah. It's almost like something that everyone's kind of like yeah, that's a thing, but it's not a big deal. No one really cares. Yeah. Really interesting. Guess, it's real interesting because like some of the implications of telepathy and yeah. you know, that kind of thing are really crazy. But they they Star Trek never goes too far with it, and they're just like no. Ultimately, it's just like talking without moving your lips and not much more. <laughs> or you know seeing whatever memories are convenient out of another person yeah something that would be totally world changing if it were to occur right now yeah but it's almost like they kind of like it's almost like if someone on Star Trek like <laughs> uh, well I mean I guess we'll talk about it more when we when we meet up with Luxwana Troy and Bittizes and ENG, but I guess yeah, we'll find out more about it. Don't they say something like like well, they have a very different conception of privacy. First of all, I think they do. Yeah, they just don't have as many of like as many of the nasty impulses as humans. I guess. I guess if you're broadcasting all the time, yeah, your culture becomes very different. Yeah, your culture becomes very different, and the people are raised yeah in very different ways and like you evolve in a different way like like the literal evolution of the brain ha- must be happening something different must be happening you know anyway but yeah they don't really they don't really delve into it like a whole super lot like you think like it would it's like it's sort of have huge implications yeah you would but, think it would but yeah maybe it's just maybe it's something that happened and humanity got over it and they're just yeah. like okay whatever Whatever. That was I cool mean, in 2050. Yeah. I mean, no one's Star- impressed. <laughs> Star Trek is also full of like one-off technological wonders that people pull out of their asses to to like save the enterprise yeah. or something that you never hear about again. Like once and you think about the implications for it for a little while and you're like shouldn't that really be a big Wesley fucking, deal? fucking Wesley fucking creates life. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, well, let's just leave it on this empty planet. <laughs> Love that. I was going to say data, but actually they spend a lot of time really delving into data in a really thoughtful and interesting ways when it comes to like data, that episode where like data wants to get, t- is going to get taken apart by somebody. Oh yeah. Then, oh man. Like, that's my answer data. for the abuse of power. Yeah, data the measure of a man. Of a man, data builds a kid. Data's got a twin brother who's crazy oh, yeah. and evil. Um, data gets emotions. Data like is destroyed and rebuilds himself. Like, like he goes through some shit. I like, and I haven't even seen Picard, so I know he's like changed even more when he when he. There's by the time he so Picard. many datas in Picard. Yeah, there's just it's just ridiculous, and I think. And and it's interesting with him because because there they actually take the time to to think like okay no 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 data data is not just like a robot like you think of like oh what does it mean to like have a sentient robot and you know copy it and recopy it and, re- and reboot it from backup because he becomes such a deep and interesting character people writing about him actually stop to think about it and that's why all these interesting stories have been written about data and in TNG. Um. Anyway, we're getting. One there are topic. a lot of interesting stories about data. Uh, number X out of ten for this one, Saint. Oh, for measure. Uh, for 
Not Not, not Bridge of a Man. Uh, Where No No. Man Has Gone Before. Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, Honestly, like a seven. I don't know why I'm rating it lower than than Charlie X. It's a little less intense than Charlie X. It's a little less scary. It's a little less than Charlie X, I think. Yeah. And there's there's a big action scene in this one. But please. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just... I don't know. The way the actor playing Gary Mitchell, like poor tormented just, guy, just looked like he wanted to claw his fucking eyeballs out the you, entire. You could, God, you could just see how irritated was, he was. It was a little distracting the way he had to like move his head and face. Yep. Um. I. I don't know. I don't think he really sold me on the whole. Maybe it was partly that. Maybe it was just the whole. He just failed. Failed to sell me on the fact that he was becoming all powerful and all cruel at the same time. Sure. Almost um, clownishly, like, powerful and cruel. Like, just kind of, like, being... It's hard to even take him seriously. He's not even very threatening. He doesn't really yeah. do much. Yeah, whereas Charlie had he, sort of, like... He, he strangles a guy with a cable. Yeah, and it's like, but why? Why, like... You could just wait. Like, yep. if you have all this yeah. infinite power, doesn't it make more just sense to just be like, okay, guys... You're no threat to me, but you know what? Maybe I've calculated that you are a tiny little threat. So let's just eliminate that by being real nice, because you liked me before, and you don't have to know how much I've changed. Yeah, yeah. He he's, he gets something something about whatever has changed in him is that he just has no inhibition, or part maybe it is that he thinks the humans are so insignificant he can say whatever he wants because who gives a shit? And that's his undoing. Yeah, whereas Charlie X at least had this sort of believable motivation of, like, no human contact for his entire life. Yep. And, like, like this motivation at least to try to, like, connect with Yeoman Rand, even if it was in, like, a fucked up, horrible, bad way, and connect with Kirk as, like, a sort of, like, you know, authority parental figure yeah you know and he was kind of sad in that respect because you're like oh man this is a kid who is super psychologically fucked up not only from being left alone for his entire life with no human contact but also having a whole bunch of power wow and and now the only example he's had of any type of social contact is is what he's seen in the past like two weeks he has you know no hasn't even processed what is expected mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. And he's, R- he's way more like, interesting, Charlie. He's tr- he's trying to get it. He's he wants people to like him and he's feeling so terribly. Um and he has you know, and it's it's like the aliens who show up tell him, you know, it's like a sorry, he's got yeah. no chance. Yeah, that's it. We we can't take the powers back away from him, so he's got no chance. They straight he's, up are like he will never live in human society because he'll always be an asshole. Yeah. Like we're sorry, we distorted him, but he's he's gonna be an asshole now, and we gotta take responsibility and take him away now. And yeah, Gary just decides to be an asshole because he's got power now. Infinite power that is being multiplied infinitely in every second, and uh, yeah, he definitely could just he really. Yeah, I mean, who knows how I would behave in such a situation? But I'd like to think that I could just chill out for a few days and eat my weird apples in the desert yeah 
and then and then just be like Doctor Manhattan and and contemplate yeah. the universe in the silence of your desert and just be like, well, I've evolved past the need to eat these weird apples. I don't even have to make them exist anymore. I can just sit here and hear through like all of the layers of reality with my vast infinite power or reshape the cosmos or something. Yeah, I'm going to kidnap Jeremy Irons and... Yeah, so the, I, I feel like the motivation for Gary being crazy was a little weak. The, um, the, unless it was just, yeah, unless something about whatever... I, I keep wanting to call it a virus or something, but it just kind of happens. They just go near the edge and they get zapped and... Yeah, there's he, there's like there's like a there's like a whole shitload of psychic power like hanging out there at the edge yeah. of the galaxy and like going too close to it lets them absorb it like a battery or something. And it just it makes him just it makes him drunk and silly and drunk with power causes him to run his mouth. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I feel like maybe if they'd said something like, well. Gary always was kind of an asshole in the first place or something like that. Just, I, I don't know, to say something like, well, we always knew he was, he was, a, you know, he was a bit of a creep sometimes or he could be, he could be a bit rough sometimes. Yeah. So. Not even any of that. But no, not all he was, was a strong esper. Yeah. He was, and he was our buddy, you know, he's like, yeah. oh, Jim's friendly. I was like, I don't want to kill him. I've known him for 15 yeah. years. I got, I, I got him on this ship. We've been buddies since, since the Academy. He set me up with my girlfriend, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I guess, I guess that's the weakness of it. We only see him after he's gotten the getting the power. Really, you see him for like about a second and a half before he's gotten his power. He's just sitting there on the bridge talking. Yep. And again, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the watch order. Yeah, um, like, yeah, it is. It is kind of. Well, yeah, and you gotta you gotta consider that this is supposed to. This is like this is the pilot. Like you know, they two years ago was the cage. And this is what they came back and were like, okay, guys, this is the show we have for you. So this isn't even, the show wasn't even in production when this was made. So this is exactly. still a little bit separate from everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like we said, Spock's mom. Yep. Um, One of my ancestors. Yeah. It's a cold way to refer to your mom. <laughs> and, and who knows? Maybe he's just so cold and alien that, yeah, they're all his ancestors. Yeah. yeah, I guess I'll give it about a seven. Um, cool. I think that's fair. I feel like I said six or seven. This was last week or something when we yeah. discussed this. But uh, I feel like I was about, yeah, I feel like I was like, this is okay. I liked some of the, uh, I like the salt vampire the best so far. Before you go, let me ask you about uh, the drumhead. The question of the week was, uh, oh yeah, what's your favorite story about an abuse of power and... Yeah, I kind of may as well have said, what's your favorite story that has an asshole? <laughs> uh, the drumhead is the one where someone has, like, a Romulan grandfather, and there's King Klingon blood. The Klingon blood has the oh, spy yeah, information in it. There's a... I forget... Oh, man, I don't even remember that. But I, I, what I remember is that um, there's, like, a warp core breach but like non-fatal in the enterprise yeah. and it's determined to be sabotage and there's like one spy on the ship and they catch them but then an admiral shows up and is like there must be more and she starts like interrogating everybody and yeah. she's like she's like a huge asshole to everybody yes she is and she's she's only stopped because another admiral shows up to be like okay what's going on here right yeah exactly okay. 
and she's like Captain Picard is a traitor to the to the Federation and he's like okay no you've gone a little too far <laughs> you're drunk on power lady yeah I think one of the kids like one of the like ensigns she's interrogating it like she finds out that like his grandfather was Romulan so yeah exactly she, a, he she, must be a spy she digs exactly. into everything. Yep. She, she digs into everything. She, she goes after Worf because she's like, your father was a Romulan collaborator, wasn't he? Yep. You know, and she goes after. She she finds reasons to be suspicious of like literally everybody in the crew. Yep. You know. Maybe I'll take. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll watch that one again. I've been working through DS Nine. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Yes. Have a good night. Yes, thank you very much to Saint, and also AKA Weebs was here for that one, and uh, I'm not sure if I have a guest next week for The Naked Time. Maybe I'll figure something else, but, uh, you know, if someone's interested, they can get at me on Discord, and uh, yeah, we'll have a... We got a bonus episode coming up that I'm gonna have a... kind of. That's mostly just gonna be a bunch of short little guest talks about a few different things. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, but yeah, uh, after The Naked Time, the following episode, which is The Evil Within, Saint will be joining Chris and I for the full episode scene-by-scene scene breakdown. And uh, that type of breakdown for the episode we're talking about today, Where No Man Has Gone Before, is going to begin with me and Chris right now. Go. Okay, so this is the actual pilot, or the actual second pilot, the third episode that we've referred to as a pilot. <laughs> it's not this at all is, confusing. This is the pilot. Yeah, this is the one that was supposed to be episode one after it got greenlit by uh, NBC, I think it was. Yeah, um, might have been. I'm not sure exactly where this all began. It had something to do with Lucy. Yeah, uh, she owned or was one of the deciding people on the board for the company that that this got. Whichever company by. this is, because whatever, yeah. because yeah, Paramount is basically the Lucy company. I don't know if it was Paramount at that point or if. Boy, now this is a whole other thing. I'm gonna have to look up and do a clarification on next episode okay so the cage was originally rejected by nbc and this was the second uh, the second pilot um and reportedly lucille ball this is reading directly off of wikipedia Great, lucille ball it. who owned desilu productions where the pilot was produced persuaded nbc management to consider a second pilot thereby exercising a special option agreement it had with desilu because she liked Shane Roddenberry and believed in the pro- project. The episode was eventually broadcast third in sequence, and it was the first episode to be shown in the UK by the BBC on July 12th, 1969. Oh. So there. That's that's, right. that's, that's how she's related. Story. Yep. Great. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it looks like it looks like this episode was absolute hell for the actor that portrays Gary Mitchell. Yeah, I feel bad for his name is Gary Lockwood. Um, Gary I, Lockwood. I feel bad. Yeah, I feel bad for him because uh, we were we were discussing it a little bit while we were watching the episode. He's got these 1960s 
um, contacts in, and they're they're thick, so you could have actually two, like two lenses and put they put uh, an aluminum foil in the middle of the two lenses and then poked a hole through it. So that's why he's looking down his nose at everyone. In addition to just being an arrogant little shit. Um, and yeah, they were hot and uncomfortable, and he hated them. He hated every second of it. When you describe them as hot, I like I can't imagine someone putting something in my eye and me like you know. An hour later, being like, "All right, I gotta get him out. My eyes are too hot. My eyeballs are sweating." I can't like, imagine having eyes feel temperature oh. that isn't just being outside and it being yeah. awful. Like, I mean, I live in Canada, right? So, like, we get it cold enough where no, it's cold, and my eyes feel cold, and that's awful. And I cannot imagine having like a thing in my eye that's doing it instead. You know? Does anyone ever go outside in Canada and have their eyeballs freeze? Actually, uh, so depending on where you are, this is a thing that can happen. Um, oh boy, I, I've wanted to know this my whole life. I can't wait. Okay, so legit truth, uh, my partner used to go to school up north. Yeah. And when he was up north, it would sometimes get so cold that he would actually get literal slush in his eyeballs from bl- blinking when outside. That sounds very upsetting to me. It it sounded upsetting to me, and I'm pretty sure it was upsetting to him while he went through it. You know, like I cannot imagine it was comfortable. But yeah, no, you can you can get if you if you look online, you'll find pictures of areas in like Russia and northern Canada um, where people get like icicles on their eyelashes from being outside too long, just from the humidity of their facial their face. You know, putting out a little bit of heat in the eyes, having that little bit of wet, and like literally, it's just freezing on their face. And I no. I, I, it's cold enough down here where I'm at. I don't need to be where that happens. That that sounds awful, like just literal hell. So this is a good episode to watch if you're prone to worrying about your eyes and imagining and imagining terrible scenarios that might happen to your eyes, like someone putting tinfoil in them. I I do not envy either Gary Lockwood or Sally Kellerman, which is the other the other doctor. Doctor Denner. Yeah. Is that, yes. <laughs> yes. We also yeah, have Doctor Piper because we don't have Leonard McCoy yet. Is it Leonard? Yeah. Leonard McCoy. Yeah. Okay. Um. Now the history with that is that because this was the second pilot, um, when they did the first pilot, they weren't fond like from day one. Roddenberry had always wanted uh, DeForest Kelly, so. When they didn't have him for the the cage, and then they tried to get him for this, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, so we've had him in the other episodes that were filmed after this was filmed, but the the first episodes they just did not have the ability to have him in it, in it for whatever reason. So and I actually don't have the specifics on that. Okay, and we but we yeah we have seen him already because we watched the Man Trap and are we're watching the broadcast order again. Um, yeah, but uh, we'll see him soon enough. No, he'll be back next episode, I'm pretty sure. I have the uh, the intended order, at least, not in front of me, but I do have... Anyway, that doesn't matter too much. Something that is interesting, uh, right away, before we even get into the plot of this, about the black box they're trying to find from the 200-year-old ship, which you did some calculating, and you feel that the if it's 200 years old, based on dates provided in First Contact, or at least that story... Um, so... Yeah, this episode specifically takes place in 2265, so 200 years ago is 2065, and the first Contact movie takes place in 20... 
63. So this is two years after first contact when the uh, Valiant has their run-in, I guess, their their explosion. Yeah, so based on that timeline from the late 90s, I would say that they probably had warp ships flying around, but they probably... Starfleet was probably not a thing quite yet, but... Um, before we even get into the plot with the with with this with this valiant ship, which uh, was lost two years after first contact, Spock says something that I found interesting, which is that one of his ancestors was human. He does not say my mother was human. They didn't know yet. Yeah, that's probably exactly it. Yeah, but I think it's neat that so this would have been, you know, like, this isn't really. I mean, this. If this was the actual pilot, that would have been the first time. Well, I mean, regardless, it's the first time we've seen him mention any kind of human ancestry. Yeah, but he still got ridiculed a fair amount, too, about um, being an unfeeling Vulcan, too. So, Oh, man. Yo, Kirk is like, Kirk lets him have it. It wasn't just Kirk, though. It was um, the, the lady doctor, Denner, as well. She made a comment about, I know that you're, you Vulcans don't have feelings like us humans, but... Yeah, you're um, right, she does. Yeah, right away, she sets it up. That's almost one of the first things she says, because, uh, yeah. yeah, Spock is... The one, I'm, the one I'm remembering is when they're all sitting around the table uh, in the quote-unquote war room discussing the situation and next steps after Mitchell has started to, uh, his transformation. I believe right. it, they were discussing about the uh, planet that they wanted to leave him on. And trying to figure out that plan. Yeah, you're right. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, for some reason, I feel like she may have even said something. Oh, no. She, the, the thing that happened on the bridge is that Gary Mitchell called her a walking refrigeration unit. <laughs> so she's a little bit cold and emotionless anyway. And then she's going to... And even someone like that will yell at, Spo at Spock. Kirk says to Spock... Act like you got a heart. Yeah. Well, because he was, and I mean, I get it. Spock sat down and immediately got kind of cold about the whole situation. About, um, and like, this is a person who is a friend of the captain who's been on the ship for X length of time. Like, everyone knows him. And he's turning around and basically saying, yeah, he's, he's not worth, uh, trying to fix or anything. So let, there's a, an empty planet. Let's leave him there. He's too dangerous. Spock was, being reasonable and, and and looking at the situation as a whole and no this isn't something we can deal with we don't have the ability we should leave him behind before he kills us and we go through what the valiant went through but also you know he's bad at recognizing and empathy so yeah sure. right yeah and he you know if he sees that as he sees this as an escalating situation that he is going to have less and less, that they're all going to have less and less control of the longer they let it go on. And Spock also is aware that the previous ship, the Valiant, that this happened to, the captain eventually ordered self-destruct, and that was his only option remaining. So Spock would not like to self-destruct. I mean, I don't blame him. They Doesn't found... sound like it'd be a fun time. No, no. The, that's what, I mean, really, whenever I watch, I mean, that's one of my... Not something like I have actually had nightmares about Course Oblivion and other Star Trek things, but like 
the idea of being on a ship and the captain is ordering the self-destruct, that still scares the shit out of me as maybe like as a practical thing that I feel like that might happen to me someday. Not as much of the sort of existential dread as some of the other Star Trek stuff uh, causes, but yeah, the idea of the captain ordering a self-destruct and hearing that countdown really, that does a number on me for sure. But it's also it's also nice to see that they're making sure that that's well known because this the the you know captain's countdown for self destruct is a tried and true Star Trek method to deal with anything that's outside like it's it's up there with you know jettisoning the warp core and blowing it up right so sure and maybe this is the first time we've heard about a captain doing the self destruct it doesn't totally count because we don't see like Kirk ordering it and the countdown happening and everything being saved at the last second. Yeah, but it is it is once again like we've talked about the last couple of weeks is um it's a, it's that start of the show. We're seeing these yeah. trends, you know, really early in. Um We're getting little know, tidbits. Yeah, well, and like the self-destruct being a thing in episode 1 and it being such a big thing later in the shows. It's it's just it's it's fun to see where these things are starting and how quickly they start cuz like it feels like I'm already in the middle of a Voyager type level of tropes, you know what I mean? Little seeds of what is to come. I feel... I feel like Kirk might do a big bluffing self-destruction at at another point. Like, I feel like Kirk is saying, okay, self-destruct time. I feel like that's going to happen in the first season. Oh, 100%. Especially with how many of our um, have, our tropes have come up so far. Yeah. I, I totally believe that that's an, that is a very realistic thing to expect, you know? I almost feel like it might happen in the Corbinite maneuver, which, for some reason, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I misremember about that one, but we'll see. Yeah, you might like you might like that one a lot. I'm just quickly glancing at uh, the the memory alpha page for that because I'm trying to. I'm not positive, but as usual, I'm bad at the names of episodes, you know? Well, I don't think it turns out that it's like somebody's kid that is out fucking with them. (laughs) No, but But there's a photo of of Balok, and Balok looks familiar, so I think I've seen this. Oh, well, Balok is a, he's a Howard, like Ron Howard. Oh. Yeah, he's he's Ron Howard's brother. Okay. Ron Um, Howard's been coming up a lot for me, like, this whole week. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, two days ago, we were talking about Ron Howard and um, how he was in, like, not Dick Van Dyke. What is it? Uh, the one with, with with Andrew Griffin, the Andy Griffin show. He was on that. Oh, okay. And then, like, we went from one family's house to another person, like, to the other one, like, from my, my family to his family's house. Uh-huh. And they had on, um, like, they were doing, like, a Ron Howard marathon. They were watching a bunch of Ron Howard movies back to back to back. Yeah. It's <laughs> okay. just, it's, it's just been a weirdly, anyways, completely unrelated. Total tangent. But, yeah. No, I, I it looks, it, I, again, I think it's going to end up falling in the same boat that, that uh, this one was, where when we get to it, I won't remember the episode at all. I've probably seen it, but I don't remember it, and then we'll watch it, and it's, Oh, yeah, I remember this, and I remember that, you know, the same way that I was today. I kind of don't think that Kirk calls for self-destruct in that one, but when we were watching the Futurama episode, I was definitely thinking about Baylock. Fair. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much. There's also that floating, the classic floating green head figures into the court. Boy, 
I guess I guess the Corbinite maneuver is the one episode of this series that really stuck out to me. <laughs> uh, I seem to check. remember that it was it was that Howard guy. Um, and when they teleport the black box from that ship to the Enterprise, James Duhan is there. We didn't see him in the man trap, but here he is. I think this is his first physical appearance in the show um, that we've gotten to see, and he does not look like James Duhan at all. He's yeah, thin. He, it's a lack of facial hair, I swear. Between he, him being thin and not having any facial hair, yeah. and then also being in the wrong colored jersey, like all of that together, because there wasn't a single red shirt in the yeah, entire episode was... either. And there were there was the blue and yellow, but it seemed like some guys may have been kind of in gray shirts. Also, I'm not sure. It could have just been the lighting and the blue shirts, but it looked like um instead of it just being yellow, like there was that yellow and there was a gold. There was a paler peachy yeah, yellow, but, almost, yeah, you know? sort of like a more drab. Like it's almost yeah. like the command, like Spock and Kirk. Are, I would call that more gold, and then there's more of a drab yellow. Yeah, that I like, I almost think that drab yellow is more like a tanny peach, honestly sure. myself. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's it's, and that's I think that this is the last episode they did that. I think everything after this one here, they went to the proper tricolor. Um, I was actually reading last week about the you know costuming for the show and how that changed over. And like season one, they they went through about three different types of uniforms before they settled on. Uh, what they went, what they decided to go with for the whole thing, and even that took like a year before they actually made the full change because it was as they were wearing out type thing they'd replace. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm I feel like almost like the phasers we noticed in this one, we're probably going to see a few different um, costumes kind of mixed together here and there as until we kind of resolve it if if we do. Yeah. So they found so the Valiant was encountered some kind of storm that swept them out of the edge of the galaxy. And when the Enterprise goes to investigate, they encounter a wall of energy that causes all co- the consoles on the bridge to burst into flame. And everybody's frightened and a few people on the ship apparently drop dead. And two people that are affected, we get a really great... The Dr. Denner, the the female doctor that uh, appeared at the beginning. We get a great negative, like, photo image shot of her where she's zapped, kind of like in a cartoon where someone gets zapped and you can see their skeleton. Mm-hmm. But her and Gary Mitchell are zapped. Gary's knocked unconscious. She's a little bit uh, buzzed. And uh, this may have been mentioned just before this encounter that... Before the captain of the Valiant ordered uh, the the ship to self-destruct, they were doing a lot of investigation into the history of human ESP phenomena. And Dr. Denner mentions that, oh, she's got a little ESP, and as a matter of fact, Gary Mitchell is a high-ranked esper, which is, yeah, a term I don't recall hearing on Star Trek, ever. I feel like it was only this one episode it ever came up in. They may have dropped it, so Gary's got some ESP, and after this encounter, he's got silver eyes made of tinfoil. Yeah, it looks like a, a quick glance with uh, Memory Alpha. No, we never actually do come up with Esper ratings ever again. It is only in this one episode. Really um, interesting thing to put in the pilot and then never mention again. Humans have an Esper rating. Well, as I'm, I'm, it's a very short... Uh, 
you know, entry to begin with on the it, website. And it would be. It's it's interesting because they they they've commented that Dr. Elizabeth Denner had a better than average ESPER rating at eighty nine, but Gary Mitchell had a higher one of ninety one, which is deemed well above average. So it the two of them are only two points apart, and that's that's the difference between better than average and well above average is two points. Interesting, huh? I wonder where it begins. I would assume zero 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 because it is a the three number. It's zero eight nine zero nine one, right? So yeah, I wonder if it's like if you're at like eighty seven, you're totally normal. But like once you go above that gradient, it just gets more and more. It gets well, just like in the show, the powers get more exponentially powerful very quickly. Very very quickly. Um, Gary Mitchell had already started his transformation within minutes of being hit. If if uh, I remember correctly, well, the, yeah, immediately after the explosions and the incident, uh, we get a really great long zoom in close up of Gary Mitchell's face and his. So, someone was very proud of this effect. And by the way, like I know it was uncomfortable and terrible, and like God bless both these actors for dealing with it, but it doesn't look that great. <laughs> No, it really didn't. And I mean, I'm sure in the 60s when, you know, technology and, and, and special effects were sure. not at the stage that we're used to nowadays, sure. that it was it looked amazing. And I remember, like, I, I like I said, like, as we were watching, I'm remembering more and more of the show. I remember the moment where he's lying there and the eyes turn right at the start, like that first long hold as everything else dims and the eyes glow for a moment. Yes, that's the, yeah. Yeah, and I remember that as a then seeing that and thinking that's really cool. That's really well done. You know, thirty years ago, um, but no, it it does not look. It doesn't hold up nowadays. Unfortunately, we've just gotten too far in our technology. The world was a bigger place thirty years ago. Yeah, but no, it's it the way he's doing it with the looking down his nose thing. That uh, that was a combination of wanting him to look arrogant and also the the things were just. I, you, I can mean, they're, they're you can yeah, see them moving around. You can see them moving around in his eye, and he can't see out of them. Every, every almost every time he blinked, they'd be in a new position. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, and you can see it happen. Yeah, and I, <laughs> this I can't is the new HD that. print. I mean, it is the remastered version of the show we're watching. Yeah, I cannot. I cannot imagine having to put up with that. It just feels like it'd be the wor- one of the worst things to do, to do. You know? Oh yeah. So. He starts displaying powers, reading really fast, absor- and that's a classic. When you, if you ever, if a fr- if you ever you go to visit a friend of yours after an accident has occurred, and they're just like flipping through a book really, really fast, or like scrolling their Kindle really fast, that's the that's the most red flag I can think of for anything. Something, yeah, no. something bad's gonna happen. You know, that person needs to go see a doctor, uh, a doctor who can lock them in a closet and. Yeah. and- Make sure that they are uh, no longer a danger to themselves, let alone everyone else. But one of the first, like, real manifestations of his powers is kind of benevolent and beneficial. He he tells this guy Kelso, which I almost feel like we might see Kelso here and there. He tells Kelso that a certain certain battery packs or ignition rods or something are damaged. And if they try to bring the ship to warp, they'll detonate and destroy everyone. And it turns out he's right. Kelso goes and finds these rods and says that the tips are burnt off. We, we have to, we have to stop at this unmanned factory planet and steal some of their rods. 
And almost at the same time, Spock is going, uh, Gary Mitchell's getting extremely powerful. We better drop him off on that planet and leave him there. Yeah, that's, that's, that was the, uh, the surprisingly <laughs> cold Spock we were talking about. Yeah, and that's, that's the little meeting they have. And, uh, of course, Dr. Denner is offended by this because she's probably already, well, first of all, she was one of the people affected in the initial incident. And she's also got a little bit of a connection to Mitchell now because they both uh, have some type of Esper ability and something very strange is happening to Gary. So she's concerned about it. And that, I mean, I was pretty surprised. Making eyes a lot too, back in the um, med bay before they, before that meeting, she and she and Gary Mitchell were making eyes at each other a fair amount. I think she, she liked that she was able to catch him calling her a refrigerator and then, call him out and make him apologize to her. She got a, she got a little thrill out of that. Yeah, I think she did. <laughs> but real emotionless Spock shit. Like, like, I feel like maybe even they were trying a little hard with the, well, we either have to abandon him or kill him right now because he's definitely going to fuck us all up. He might detect some more broken rods. I think as well with early Spock, they really wanted to to drive home the unfeeling aspect of him. Like you can hear it, where he sounds annoyed more than anything else when he's talking yes. uh, in these last couple episodes. It's either nothing or uh, just frustration, right? So it yeah. feels like they were really trying to push that as an early setup that no, this guy is is alien. He does not feel. He doesn't not know. And I don't think they quite got as unfeeling as I felt like they were trying to get to. Yeah, they tried to just make cold. They tried to just make him cold and brutal to to go over the top. Yeah, instead of just like with Data, when you look at oh. Data in early in early TNG, he is actually unfeeling, right? And it's what not a cold. It's not, he's so good. Oh uh, he's actually cold. He's not cold and brutal and and such. He like, is the not, heart of the show. He really is, and he, he but he's still, he is still a person, a being who doesn't have emotion, and I feel like. Early Spock. Well, he's like the was, innocent data. Yeah, Spock early is Spock not. is more just angry all the time yeah. and barely controlled rage, whereas early data is actually unfeeling. And it's, it's it's a little bit different the way that the both actors decide to portray the same level of emotional emotionality, right? Yeah, totally. And we have, of course, in TOS, we haven't really, we haven't explored this yet, but, uh, but part of Spock's character becomes the idea that he uh, never has quite been totally in control of his emotions, that he always does that. And, well, they mentioned his human ancestor, but I yeah. mean, part of his character, a big part of what his character becomes is definitely that, that hint, that, that, that's, that it is something that he's annoyed with and wants to squash, just like... Yeah, just like uh, Worf, who was raised by humans, so he wants to be extra Klingon, and Spock wants to be extra Vulcan. Yeah, I agree. I, I do feel like a lot of that is there, is, is there in there, and especially with, like, I think we talked about this before. I'm not sure if it actually made, like, was in the podcast now that I'm thinking about it, but anyways, where, um, with Spock having been bullied so much more as a child, and ha feeling right. like he, he yeah. really has to step that up, right? Like, he cannot, yeah. he can't be weak on it. Yeah, he despises the part of him that is human, and he doesn't want anyone to see it. Exactly. Rough. Poor yeah. guy. So we get an, another away mission. Um, 
and a nice painted background of this automated factory that they're going to to steal their parts from and uh, a really neat little bit that it's 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 a big painted backdrop with a little doorway down in the corner of the screen and you can see the little you know the the actors you know walking in and very small and i thought i don't know i thought it was a nice i thought it was a really nice drop and a nice touch that i could see tiny actors walking into the building yeah they they definitely stepped up um with with some of the like the items like you said like the the that with the little people walking into the building the backgrounds were all hand-painted and gloriously done they were really good yeah yeah no the the map painter on this i i I don't know even if i'd be able to find their name to give them proper credit but whoever was the map painter for this show or the team that did the map paintings deserved serious kudos they they did such a good job um especially in this episode i think it's been the best one so far for that i think the sets were just above and beyond in this episode yeah, there was some good-looking stuff. Yeah. This is the first time we see a prisoner behind a force field, and the, the whole prisoner force field thing where they hit it once, and they're surprised that it exists, and then they get mad and hit it a second time and get hurt. But yeah, we hey, haven't... there was glass in the other one. They had, like, the, the fake wall. Okay. In the Manzu episode. The man trap, sorry. Oh, Man, but does he do? Does he get zapped when he touches it? No, it was just a, an invisible barrier. It was like a sheet of plexiglass or something. Okay, but no zapping, because I could be wrong. No, there was no zapping. It was okay. literally just... <laughs> if, if, if I'm remembering the episode correctly, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I, if I remember correctly, it was, just, it was just a barrier you couldn't go through. It's just a hard piece of like, glass. Okay, yeah. Boy, that would be... F- I'm already miscatching... I'm already catching things that I think are the first <laughs> things, but... Yeah, I could be. Yeah, I don't. Wow. Anyway, I think I think this is the first time we see a prisoner. I think no. I think field. I think you're right. I, I think you're right. This is the first time we've seen actual force fields specifically. I didn't even really think about the fact that we've already had a whole man in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> we've had two different episodes that are titled similarly. Enough about it. We had the cage, <laughs> and then we had the man trap. Man trap. Oh. Who knew early Star Trek would be so focused on men being behind things like that they can't get out of it, being caged and trapped, yeah. It's all a metaphor for the non-existence of free will. So Kirk Kirk has a great plan. While, While we're robbing this automated fuel mining facility that belongs to the Federation, uh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. That would be even funnier. While we're taking all of their stuff, why don't we rig it to blow? Because, you know, the last guy had to blow up his whole ship. Why don't we just blow up someone else's factory and we'll leave Gary here to get blown up? It does solve the problem. Yeah, good thinking, Kirk. It's, it's a lot better than blowing up the ship and Spock's going to be happy because, you know, Spock's got a boner for murder, I guess, today. However, I do appreciate that he tempers that out over the series. Yeah, by that's the way. pretty good. I really was. He really like right away. Even even when they walk in the room to confront Gary, Gary says, "Well, why don't you do what Spock is thinking about right now?" And Spock's thinking, "I should just phaser this guy with my old style phaser." Yeah, he sa- he he tempers out. He really needed to, and he, he does. <laughs> Angry murder, Spock. <laughs> 
So anyway, this guy Kelso. Actually, we might not see Kelso. Is this the end of Kelso? Kelso rigs up the button to destroy Mitchell. Kirk goes to the to where he's got Mitchell behind a force field and says, "If you do anything, Kelso's going to press a button in the next room and kill all of us." And I guess Gary couldn't sense that that or I, maybe 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 Gary got that information from Kirk or maybe he just knew because then Kelso gets murdered by a snake. The way I interpreted it was that he was te- he didn't know what specifically Kelso was doing necessarily. Sure, but Kirk tells him. But with Kirk telling him, like, this is, he's bringing this place out to blow up, so be good. It came off very, you know, if you if you don't screw around, we won't blow you, blow you up from Kirk, the way he says it, but uh, I think Mitchell takes it as, we're just going to kill you, screw you. So he, he then does the killing. But yeah, I don't think he knew about it before that. I think he just extrapolated based off of what Kirk was saying. Yeah. That, that's a good read. I like that. And it it's not actually a snake. It's a cable or something that's been laying around. Yeah, it was an electrical cord that's been <laughs> snipped. It had uh, loose wires and all that. Yeah, Kelso has made a fucking mess of the place. Such a mess oh. that Scotty uh, compliments him on his thievery, his thieving ability. Yeah, you, he told him basically that like, you've done a good job of, of stealing everything you needed to get what we needed. Also, like, just, you know, good job. Have accommodation. Oh, wait, you're dead. When you're see. out in space in the Kirk era, you just, you just, gra- you smash and grab when you need to. Honestly, if you're out in space in Star Trek, you smash and grab. Look yeah. at every series. There's oh, Voyager always a lot of that. Voyager is lousy with. <laughs> There's coffee in that there, Nebula. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the... <laughs> But Gary has just grown more and more powerful. He's able to zap through the force field. He zaps Kirk and Spock. And uh, Dr. Denner seems mesmerized with Gary. And it turns out that her eyes have gone silver as well. And I'm not sure if she deactivates the force field, but they're able. he's able to leave. I don't think we actually see him and her leave together. I think she turns around, we see her silver eyes, and... They cut. So either she deactivates the force field or it just doesn't matter anymore because he has achieved his full godlike powers or at least enough to do however he pleases now because he's making plants and water grow in the desert. Yeah, no, I think I think it it was just a cut cut scene because he. Sorry, I'm having trouble wording. I apologize. It's also late. Yeah, Um, it's really the words are not the words have been real. It's, oh, wow. it's been a thing. <laughs> the words have been floppy all day today. So, but no, I, I do good. agree. I think I think it was just a case of she didn't have to do it because Gary just could. I, I I feel like if not he himself in that moment in that room turns it off. When he killed Kelso, he hit the button to turn it off. Type thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, at that point, he's just none he's of your god. puny things can hold. Yeah, he's no, he, he's becoming a god. Everything he wants will be his, and uh, the rest of us can all suck it. Your puny man technology will not. You cannot hold me in this man trap, this electrical man trap you've devised for me. <laughs> you will not hold me in this the cage. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so Kirk catches up to him, and he gestures and digs a grave with a gravestone that says James T. Kirk. Oh, it looks like on our first watch of this, we didn't realize that the gravestone actually says James R. Kirk. Because <laughs> he intends to murder him with a rock. And, uh, yeah, they have a big fight because Denner, now she's got the silver eyes. She is, she becomes, there's some talking. Kirk is saying free will and absolute power. Oh, he actually, he's actually like, you know, Spider-Man, free will. No, wait. Absolute power. With great responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) With great responsibility, with great, uh, with great power comes great responsibility as Spider-Man. Absolute power corrupts absolutely was like Sun Tzu or something like that. All right, so he's not quoting Spider-Man, but he does say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Where is that from now? There is actually a very famous philosopher who said it. I just don't remember which one. Um, absolute power corrupts absolutely was stated by John Dalberg, Alton, the first baron. Uh, sorry, Acton, the first baron. The first baron of what? I don't know, just the first baron Acton. The fir- oh, the first baron Acton. Yeah, so Lord Acton said it in 1857. Yeah, so hearing that, and there's more, there's, you know, they do a lot of back and forth, Gary and Kirk, about which of them is right. Um, yeah. And, and Kirk is, because Gary is trying to kill him now. <laughs> Although, I mean, Kirk was noodling about killing Gary, so their, their biggest crime is threatening to kill each other. Well, I mean, Kirk mostly seemed to have decided to kill Gary because of, of Mitchell's uh, comment about, um, what was it? About being a, a a captain with with a soft heart or something like that is uh, like the worst kind of captain yes. or whatever. Yes. I don't remember the line exactly. Something but yeah. about a captain having compassion and how it wasn't what Gary would think is correct. Yeah, and um, and that seemed to when that was said, that seemed to really get under Kirk's skin, and he kind of went on the warpath a little bit. You want to see how much compassion I don't have for you, motherfucker? Look at my phaser <laughs> rifle. <laughs> Is the line yeah. <laughs> something something like that? I, I, Yippee ki yay, motherfucker, or something? I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, but yeah, no. So they they ended up having their little fight, and Kirk successfully entombs uh, Mitchell in in his own grave, and yes. uh, that just it, we, that immediately was commented on as, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's also a really terrible thing to have happened to somebody in Star Trek. From the the question a, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Uh, to was it which one? Uh, episode two. Yeah. The worst thing that happens to someone. Yeah, from yeah. the man trap episode. You could materialize, or I guess dematerialize Earth to create a ga- a grave to threaten your friend with underneath a big rock. You're gonna have fall on him, and then your also godlike girl could zap you make you lose your powers, and then Captain Kirk could shoot the big rock with a phaser rifle at the same time that he knocks you into the grave, and you could get crushed by all of the rocks in the bottom it's of the a, grave. It's just not fun for anyone, really. No. <laughs> a little complicated. It's also just, it's just not a good time. No, no one's, ha- no one's having fun. No, this whole episode was really not a fun episode for any yeah, people. I actually, it. earlier around when we were talking about that meeting they were having about killing him, I wrote down, this episode is a bit more grim than the salt vampire one, which... 
Yeah, no, the Soul Vampire one is as as awful as the premise was because it was a pretty, you know, I do not want to live in that that universe. Awful kind of a, a, a an episode. No, people are being and, murdered by an insatiable vampire who's sucking just the salt out of their blood. Like, ew, that I cannot imagine that's pleasant. That is still a better fate, I think, than what happens to the characters in this one. I, I think I'd still rather that than the strange en- energies that we see here. Strange energies that drive you mad and then and then maybe just leave you dead. It's possible that um, Denner's powers were coming from Gary and that's why she dies, but she yeah, seems it wasn't to just really die. Clear. The whole fight between Kirk and, 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 and Mitchell, she's just laying there and looking weak and, and such. And it was really, really unclear, but as well... Really early in the episode, when they do get the power stuff happening, she has said that she got touched by it because she's got the Esper abilities, but not it didn't take hold. Whereas he's got the higher powers; he had the highest ones, the higher highest Esper rating on the ship, which is why yeah. it took hold so quickly. So, I mean, especially where they've never reviewed or or gone back to dealing with Esper ratings and and the implications they're in in Star Trek. Otherwise, it's really hard to figure out what they were meaning and what they were hoping to have happen throughout this whole episode when they were talking about stuff like this, right? And it, it's really hard to figure out if, like you said, if the powers were hers or if she was just open to Gary's powers, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not clear at all. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, because they both get zapped and it takes... It's sort of... It it kind of seems to me like it just takes longer to develop hers, and maybe just being in the vicinity. But I'm just, I guess, really, I'm just not clear about exactly why she drops dead. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't super clear in the show too, because you weren't even not sure if she was dead. Yes, when we were watching, I didn't even know it. (laughs) Like it it was so vague, and it was so unnecessarily vague too. The scene cuts, and it cuts to Kirk on the ship, and he says, uh, you know, Dr. Denner was, uh, list Dr. Denner as another casualty of this whole Sarin affair, and I was like, what? What? Did he kill her? What? And you had to tell me she had just died. Yeah. I'm dead. Oh, it's all over. It is now my turn to die. Ugh. Did she even? Did she actually say that? And I just like had two no, that for a second. No, but I that's just... basically what happens to her. She just drops dead. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really the whole ending of this episode was really vague and really unclear. And frankly, um, I increasingly think the man trap was the better option for a first episode. At least that it's one made fun. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It made more sense. It was more fun. The, there um, were more fun characters in it. The writing was clearer and better. Uhura uh, was I, there. We lo- and we all love a good Uhura. I honestly, I don't think this is a great episode. I think it's okay, but I do not think it's as good as as either Charlie X or as um the Man Trap. I think it's I think it's the weaker episode. I I think I still prefer the Cage over it too i i really did not super enjoy this one yeah you know what i agree uh as far as yeah as far as putting an episode on air for people to see for the first time out of the out of what we've seen so far i think the man trap is the correct choice i think it's the most fun and uh i think the man trap is almost just like job of like world building for this is what the show is going to be long term yeah 
it's yeah. a it's a little surprising to me that this one comes out right after Charlie X, and it's almost not as interesting version of Charlie X. Charlie X was a more interesting character than Gary Mitchell. Gary yeah. Mitchell, we don't know anything about him. An accident happens, and he becomes a super powerful being that's an arrogant little shit. But he's not. He's not a little shit. He's just a guy who happens to be there, and he's not even like making havoc or anything. He's just kind of around, and he's a problem that they got to figure. Like, you know, what do we do with this giant boulder? Whereas, like with Charlie X, he was a pain in the butt. He was actively doing stuff. He felt like he actually had an effect on the episode. He had an effect yeah. on the story. Um, I don't feel like Mitchell had much of an effect on the story. I think I think the episode would have been as as about the same without him in it. You know what I mean? As much as that sounds like weird because he is the star of the show, so to speak. It it just it didn't do anything for me. I I, I remember thinking partway through that I was kind of bored and is it almost over? Like where are we at in it, you know? There's less nuance to this story. It really is, is just big guy or not big guy, but you know, guy gets big and powerful and gets bad. And yeah. does have a big fight. Yeah. Um now, that being said, the writer for this episode, I don't remember seeing his name come up much for Peoples? later episodes. Yeah. Um, I don't remember seeing his name much on the list in general, so okay. that might be a, a telling point of it, that, you know, he may not have been a great writer, and they gave him the one-off, and, okay, cool, we're on TV now, thank you very much, have a great day, right? Sure. But, yeah, no, I just, I don't think it was... I don't. I didn't enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed the other ones we've watched so far. It's not a bad episode. It's just not good. It's it's mediocre. Agreed. So yeah. No. Overall, overall thoughts. Anything you want to add? You want to know what I'm gonna have for dinner? What are you gonna have for dinner? Whole bag of tater tots. You need to stop eating tater tots. I have not eaten tater tots in a year. And every time you get kicked, uh, get on them, it's six months of nothing but tater tots. No, that's, I mean, I really, I honestly, I don't think my body will, I don't think my body would allow that. Not again? But, but this is, the, but today, yeah, I, I mean, I was built to overeat a couple years ago, and I'm not, like, I, my body is not used to that, expecting that, or able to yeah, overeat all I've, day. I've been noticing that with myself, too, as, as I've gotten older, my, yeah. as much as I, I used to be able to eat, like, 6,000 calories in Non-stop. a day. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to get like, you know, 2,000 in now. It, it, it hurts my... I get full so quickly. Yeah. Old age sucks. Don't get old. I'm alright with it. I'm not. I'm I, I don't it. like. I don't like that my joints hurt. I don't like that I can't eat the way I used to eat. Yeah. Even not even like the getting fat part. Like just not being able to have as much food in a day as I used to be able to because like I used to be able to eat a pile of different stuff now I've got to be a little bit more streamlined yeah I'm, I'm okay I'm getting used to it I mean I've had a little bit more time being real old yeah, yeah. but not that much it's only a few years it's fine but so anyway and, my, my final thoughts were about what I'm going to eat in a little bit in a few minutes <laughs> uh, do you have any <laughs> no I, honestly I think my final thought is just the rating I'm giving this one here a six it's oh. not great it's not bad um, but it, it's, it's a little bit above a mediocre, like a, the five exact, but it, I don't, I don't think it deserves much more than a six. I was going to give it a five. IMDB gives it a seven and a half. Is that 7.7 7 on IMDB? 7.7. 7. Oh, they go full decimals, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a I five. Think we've most, I think we've mostly just been kind of 
politely agreeing to do um, solids or halves. Keep in mind. Yeah, I think I did a half last week. IMDb's rating is a, an average. Ah. Because like it's going to be everybody's rating. I think it's I think it's like an audience rating. You know, like people, sure. you know, thousands of people put in their rating, and then it gets the average out of that. So that's yeah. why they're the decimals of point. Like it's only the tenth. It doesn't go to up to a hundredth. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, uh, and and hanging out and watching TV as always. I I super appreciate it. This has been fantastic. Oh man, super duper as always. Thank you so much for doing this. This whatever we're doing. Honestly, we're getting, we're getting an equilibrium. We're gonna have a structure and a whole thing. Like one one of these we, days. We basically so like, do. Yeah. I mean, we've got we've got the framework. We're still doing tweaks. Uh, we are we are trying not to. You know, make too many corrections as necessary. We're going we to try not to rack them up so that during the week we have to look up a whole list of things. But at the same time, I do want to be upfront about like I don't. I am not a Star Trek expert. I don't know everything, and I'm. I will do the best I can to be as accurate as I can. But I'm going to miss stuff, and I want to make sure that I. Uh, I take accountability for that. I want to be transparent. Yeah, I want to be transparent about the fact that I know nothing about anything. So yeah, no. Next week's episode, as a bit of a quick preview, we will be watching um, the Naked oh, Time. Boy. Yeah, it's Naked Time. Yeah, it's going to be great. So we will see you guys next week, and thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, cheers, y'all. All right, so yeah, that was our coverage of Where No Man Has Gone Before. And uh, one last piece of business is the question of the week. The question of the week this week was a bit of a repeat, because this week's episode is kind of the same as last week's. So, what is your favorite story, Star Trek or otherwise, that centers on a heavy abuse of power? This can be special powers of a supernatural nature, powers granted by government or authority, or just someone who has achieved false power over others through deft manipulation and assholery. Obviously, I have got Death Note on the mind. So, we talked to Saint about his answer, which was the drumhead. Um, Locke says, several come to mind. Cisco has some strong contenders. Oh boy as do the Borg, but I think I've got to go with Q giving Picard a look at his life without the artificial heart, which is, yeah, that's a very interesting episode. A little bit of the Picard backstory there. Exploded Ed says, I mean, Final Fantasy Thirteen is all about how corrupt the system is and the struggles of the main characters to free humanity from their invisible shackles. Uh, Locke Mentions, I have no mouth and I must scream, which is, yeah, horrifying uh, and probably already happening. Uh, yeah, Saint said the drumhead. And what did I say my episode mine was? Oh, my answer is uh, Measure of a Man. I forget the name of the character, but I hate him. <laughs> Just like motherfucking Jamie Lannister. Was that even? No, that was the other podcast where I was talking about all of the fictional characters that I have a hatred for. So this week's uh, question of the week is a little bit more fun. It is, if a gif of you were to become an instantly recognizable meme. 
<laughs> what would you be doing in that gif? Uh, the next episode is Naked Time, which of course there is a very famous and instantly recognizable gif that is a meme of Sulu jumping into the hallway with no shirt on, waving a saber or a whatever type of sword you fence with. A thin fencing sword. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you for listening to The Least Ready Room. That's what's coming up. Come and talk to us on Discord. Find me and all my garbage on koyadk.tv. My other podcast is called Maybe We'll Talk, and you can find it wherever you found this one. Uh, I think I have said enough things today. I somehow spent all day doing this. I'm not complaining. Talk to y'all next week. Talk to y'all Thursday. Talk to y'all on Discord. Come say hi, please.